RCC. If we've never met before, my name is Gavin. I'm so glad to be back with you guys. I love coming down to Florida. You know what? I've actually been coming down to Florida for 46 years, my whole life. Uh, when I was a kid, I mean, I, I grew up in Atlanta. So we would always travel every summer down to Florida, like all the people from the North do, to go to beaches. That's what we would do. And as a kid growing up, we would always go to uh, two places, New Smyrna Beach and Daytona Beach, uh, right beside each other, right? We always went to one of those two, stayed in a condo, and I loved it. I mean, that kind of a, the epicenter of my beach experience was going out with usually a friend. We had a few families who would go on our rafts. I was always worried that my raft would be like a shark attractant color, so that was always nerve-wracking. But we would always go out and see who could get toppled by the waves the worst. That was kind of the, the epicenter of our beach Florida vacations. But then at one, one vacation, one vacation, my mom and dad said to us and our friends and the family, they were like, hey, we're going to kind of leave the beach for the day tomorrow, and we're going to go do something different. They, they didn't tell me what it was. And so I was kind of bummed about it. I was ready to go bit, you know, be shark bitten and avoid all the waves. But, you know, they said, we're going to do something fun tomorrow. Didn't know what it was. We got up early. Little did I know we were traveling into Orlando. And as you know, Orlando is the home for some pretty cool things like Universal and Disney. Now, back then, I think it was just Disney. And that's what we did. We, we went to Disney World, Magic Kingdom. I was so excited to do it. Um, quick, quick story. We're in line for Space Mountain. It's like a two-hour line. I mean, it's ridiculous, right? We get to the very front of the line. My cousin was with me. And she says, right before we get on, I don't think I can ride it. I have to go to the bathroom. And I literally got out of line and walked her through the exit to go to the bathroom. That's how good of a guy I was when I was 10 years old. Anyway, so we're, we're in Orlando, and I'll just never forget walking into Magic Kingdom. And you, you've done this probably. You walk in, the very first thing you see, I mean, it's beautiful everywhere. There's characters. I mean, it's just so magical. But Cinderella's castle is just massive right there in the center. I don't know if they designed it to be this way, but it feels like that like Cinderella's castle it's kind of the epicenter of, of Disney World. I mean, it's, it is so incredible in the center. It's beautiful. You, no matter where you are in the park, it kind of is the focal point of the Magic Kingdom. And that's kind of true of kind of everywhere you go and almost anything you do, there's a, a focal point or a, a center point or maybe an epicenter of it. For instance, if you're like a, a chicken nugget eater, I mean, you know this, right? Chick-fil-A, the Christian chicken, is the epicenter of the chicken nugget eating community. Now, some of you are like, no, it's a mix. It's not a mick anything. It's a Chick-fil-A nugget. It's definitely the best nugget ever created. Lord attesting to that. No question. It's Christian chicken. Of course it is, right? Or, or how about this? Like in sports, in sports, the Atlanta Falcons, for instance, the Atlanta Falcons, they're the epicenter of disappointment. That's where they are. And, and, and as a kid growing up, maybe this is your story too. As a kid growing up, I was a church kid. I mean, we went to church all the time. I, I, we were always in church. 
We were there on Monday nights. We were always there on Wednesday nights, Sunday morning, oftentimes Sunday nights too. We had Sunday school. We had youth group. I mean, it was so much fun in a way. But growing up as a you know, church kid in a religious family, we constantly use the phrase, it's time to go to church. And, and, and nobody said this out loud, but growing up, going to church felt like what we did so we could go be with God, so we can visit God. I'll just tell you, be honest, growing up for, in a very real way, at least for me, the church, the church was the epicenter of Christianity. The, the, the church is where you went to kind of be with God. Now, I, I wasn't, you know, kind of silly enough to think God lived at the church, but it kind of felt like he might have, or at least he showed up there when we showed up. Because we didn't really do much God stuff when we were at home or on the little league field. But when we went to church, that's where God must be because that's where we did all the kind of God things. Now, I should tell you, that's not how this really works. Uh, I work at a church. I kind of know that. But Jesus didn't think it worked that way either. Jesus said a couple of things about this idea. I'm going to share two of them with you today. And I kind of wish he would have said it a little differently. It would have given me as a pastor, as a church worker, a little more job security probably. But when Jesus talks about faith and then the church and kind of his interactions with us, he does not in any way seem to indicate that the church is the epicenter of faith or of Christianity. Here's the first thing he said, and you may have seen this before. He's having a conversation with some people, and and in this conversation, they ask him a really hard question, and he responds by saying something really incredible. Now, when we read it today, it's pretty incredible. 2,000 years ago, it was basically blasphemous what he said. He said, now, I am the way, I'm the way, talking about himself, and I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, it's impossible to understand the significance of this statement 2,000 years ago. I mean, today we can see this and think, that's a big deal. I mean, Jesus is the way to God. He is the, the way, the truth, and he is the life. No one else gets to God. No one else has a right standing with God outside of a faith relationship with Jesus. But 2,000 years ago, if you'd have heard this, <laughs> you would have been running away because you would have expected Jesus to say that, yeah, I, I have some truth and I can offer you some life, but people go to the Father through the temple, their version of church, through the priest, not through, not through Jesus. It's a big deal to separate kind of the purpose of the church and kind of how faith and relationship with God kind of works. But, but then he kind of builds on it and makes it even harder to understand the purpose of the church. Right before Jesus goes back to heaven, I mean, maybe you know the whole story. It's the Easter story. He's crucified, by the way, for saying things just like that. That's why he got crucified. He dies on a cross. Three days later, he comes back to life. He spends about 40 days hanging out on earth. I mean, 400 and something people spent time with him, saw him. I mean, a real resurrected Jesus. And then he ascends to heaven. But right before he does, he's gathered with his disciples. And he's telling them some of the most critical things they need to understand. And here's one of the things he told them. He said, and surely I, Jesus, I am with you always to the very end of the age. No matter where you go, I am there with you. 
When you go to the temple, I am there with you. But, but when you go home, I'm there with you too. And when you go to work, I am with you. When you go to the little league field, I am with you. No matter where you are, I go because I am with you. That's why we call it a, a personal relationship with Jesus. It's why the mission of our churches are to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus. This idea that this relationship with Jesus, the, the, the way, the truth, the life, directly the pathway to God, it's highly personal because everywhere you go, God, Jesus goes with you. So if you're going to track in with this for a minute, and if you think about those two things that Jesus said, it's kind of interesting when you think about why we have church, right? I mean, think about it. If Jesus really is the way to God, if there's no other way, if Jesus is the way to God, not the church, not the temple, and Jesus is with us always everywhere we go, what is the deal with all of these church buildings on every single block? Well, why do we even need all of these churches? I mean, isn't there a way better use of resources, of real estate? I mean, isn't there something else we can do with all this property? All the bricks, all the mortar, all the seats, all the technology. I mean, if, if, I mean think about this for a minute. If Jesus is the way to God, if, if, if you don't need the church to get to God, and everywhere you go, church included, but not included as well, Jesus goes with you, he's always with you. Why do we have all of these churches? I mean, I know this is not really good for my job to tell you all this, but you've thought about it before, right? I mean, think about the things that we do when we gather together in church. Think about the things we do. We, we sing, but you don't need a church to do that. I mean, I sing in my car all the time, sometimes to Jesus kind of music. I don't need church for that. I mean, uh, messages, sermons, I don't need to come to church for that. I mean, thank you, internet. Not only can I get the sermons from the church that I attend, I can get sermons from basically every pastor around the globe right now. So I, I don't need to come to church for, for those kinds of things. Man, maybe, maybe that's why you've kind of walked away from the church. Maybe, maybe that's why you stopped coming to church. Maybe you realized at some point, hey, everything we do when we get here, I can, I can do at home. I can do my car. I, can, I don't need to be in church to do it. I need to get up and get ready and be with people and drive and the parking and the traffic. I, don't, I mean, what's the point of all that? Maybe you haven't come to church in a long time because of that. Or, or, or maybe it's been like a decade because a long time ago you figured, hey, I don't need this gathering to do all those things. M maybe you even kind of walked away from your faith a little bit. M maybe you would consider yourself kind of de-churched or, or, or maybe your faith's still intact. Like you and Jesus are okay because you know everywhere you go, he goes with you. But I mean, you don't need to come here. You don't need to come to a church to continue to grow with him. I mean, even the most like adamant church people skip church from time to time, right? And, and they don't, I mean, at least to my knowledge, I've never seen a church person skip a few weeks and, you know, combust into flames of hell because of it. I mean, I, good grief, I'm a pastor and I take Sundays off from church sometimes. I mean, I go on vacation. Shoot, a few years ago, we were on vacation uh, at the beach, different beach in South Carolina, and it uh, wasn't as good as Florida, if you're asking. We're, we're, we're at the beach and the first week was really kind of bad. I mean, at one point, one of my kids got sick and vomited in a bowl. And the next morning, somebody made a salad in that same bowl. I mean, we'd cleaned it. But I mean, you know, once you've thrown up in it, you just got to throw it away. Somebody else at some point got some sort of skin thing. I think somebody had a worm thing going on. I mean, it was just a bad, bad week. 
And so we decided, hey, let's just stay for two weeks. And we found a, a house to stay for a second week. We, we missed two Sundays and I'm still a pastor. <laughs> Why do we need all these churches? H- how long do you think it took for these brand new Christians with these brand new churches 2,000 years ago, how long do you think it took for them to start asking those same questions? It seems like it took about a week. We, we have a book in our Bible called Hebrews. We, we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. It was a guy or a girl, we don't know. Uh, we don't know their name, but we do know it was written specifically to the Jewish people who had become Jesus followers. That's why it's called Hebrews. They were writing to the Hebrews, the Jewish people who had converted to Christianity because they all knew that, that, that Christianity wasn't Judaism 2.0. It wasn't like an add-on. It was a complete replacement a brand new thing that God had done in the world through the death of Jesus and his resurrection. So this book is written directly to those Jewish people, helping them understand what it looks like to follow Jesus in this brand new belief system that God had established. So probably most of you aren't Jewish. Maybe a few of you are, maybe a lot of you are, I don't know. But even if you're not Jewish, we are living in this same belief system and we are gathering kind of in a similar way to what they did 2000 years ago. So I think what the author is gonna say to them is exactly what they would say to you and to me as well. Here's kind of how it starts. The the author says, therefore, brothers and sisters, which really quick pause, brothers and sisters, when you see that in the Bible, it's almost always talking about Christians. And the reason is because when you put your faith in Jesus, we're told that we are adopted into the family of God. So in a very kind of literal way, when you see another guy or a girl, they kind of are your brother in Christ or your sister in Christ. We don't really call them that very often. That would be a little weird maybe, but that's exactly But they are, and that's what the author is writing about and writing to the brothers and sisters, the family members in God's family. So therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have, and I'm gonna go back through this in a minute. This is so much stuff in here. Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, now let me just pause for a second and walk you through this. This is so incredible. Again, 2,000 years ago when this was being written, I mean, it's blowing people's minds. See, if you were a Jewish person 2,000 years ago and you wanted to connect with God, do you know what you did? You had to bring a sacrifice to the temple Now, the temple was this massive structure with all of these different walls and chambers and areas and depending on who you were and what your gender was and all these different details, you could go into different areas of the temple. But at the very center of the temple was the Holy of Holies, the most most, uh, holy place as it's written here. Now, if you've seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, you have an idea of this. That's where the Ark of the Covenant lives. That's what they're looking for. Remember when they find it and they eventually, at the end of the movie, they open the Ark and everyone's face melts off? I mean, that's the Ark of the Covenant. I don't know if it would melt your face off, but it was a big deal. And it's where they thought God actually resided in the Ark. Inside that Ark, it goes all the way back to Moses. They have the Ten Commandments in there, Aaron's staff. I mean, it's a big deal, this Ark of the Covenant. And it's in the center of the temple, but no one could go in there except for one person, the high priest. And he would only go in once a year to make a blood sacrifice offering on behalf of all 
of Israel. Now, really quick, come back to this for a minute. (laughs) The author is telling you, a Jewish person who is now a Christian, that you can have confidence, and trust me, no one had confidence to walk into the temple. You already felt like God wasn't for you because of the sins that you have committed, and you're just hoping to sacrifice a sheep or a pigeon or a goat to make amends and to at least get back to even. But there's definitely no confidence in any area of the temple, much less behind the curtain that separated the outer area from the inner holy place. The author says, as a Jesus follower, because of what Jesus did on your behalf, you can have confidence to enter the most holy place because of the blood of Jesus, that lamb of God, we call him sometimes, because he was a final sacrifice. And because of this kind of new and living way that has been opened for us, that it actually tore the curtain down. Did you know that? When, when Jesus died on the cross, In the temple in Jerusalem, this huge, massive curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the outer area ripped into, symbolic, that God has left the temple and he lives in you. He indwells in your spirit. So the author continues, let us, let us draw near to God because we have all this confidence now. We, we, We can do that on our own personally. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart And with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts, and this is a little bit gross in a way, but it's so symbolic of what happened to the temple. Having our hearts sprinkled like with blood to cleanse us from having a guilty conscience and from having our bodies washed with pure water. It's this beautiful kind of poetic way of saying that because of your faith, you have been washed clean and you can have perfect confidence and the hope that you have, that you can have perfect confidence in your right standing relationship with God. The author kind of concludes the idea and they say, let us hold, I love this word, unswervingly. Like no matter what happens, no matter what kind of curveballs life throws at you, it doesn't matter. We're gonna hold unswervingly to this hope that we profess, hope that we can have this confidence. For he who promised is faithful. Now, so far, that has all been incredibly important, but it's also been incredibly personal. It's been primarily about your personal relationship with Jesus and how through that relationship, you have a right standing with God, not because of your behavior, but because of your belief. And that's really important, but it it doesn't really get to the question, why do we need all these churches? I mean, in fact, so far, what we've read, it almost substantiates what we've been saying that we don't really need all these churches. We don't really need all these gatherings because after all, God goes with you because of your faith in Jesus. Everywhere you go, Jesus is there. It's very, very personal. 2,000 years ago, those Christians were wondering that same thing. So the author decides to continue. And this is almost like a turning point in the conversation because the author moves from talking about the personal side of your relationship to the public purpose of your relationship. If you're a unchurched or a, a de-churched person, listen, I, I get it, but I, I, my guess is the reason that you walked away from the church or maybe even faith was a bad experience or maybe you just didn't feel like it was necessary. I promise you didn't walk away for the right reasons. And, and what we're about to see is actually 
some of those right reasons. So this is the public part of it. He says, and let us consider, all of us who are Jesus people, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Now, really quick, you've probably heard this multiple times from your pastor Paul or maybe just from scriptures or other pastors, but if you're a church person, you should know this, that Jesus took all of the, 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 the guidelines, all the laws, all the everything and boiled it down to just one simple command. Love people the way that I have first loved you. That's it. Just love people the way that you have been loved by me, which is unconditionally. <laughs> I don't have to ask you, how good of a job are you doing at that? I mean, it is very difficult to love people conditionally. It feels almost impossible to love everyone unconditionally. But as a Jesus follower, that's what we're called to do. But we also know it's so difficult to do it. The author of Hebrews knows that. That, that, That's why they said that we need to spur one another on towards those love and, and, and good deeds. Now, this won't be shocking to you. I'm not a cowboy. I've never worn spurs, but I have an idea of how this works, and I hope it's kind and friendly to the animal. But the gist of wearing spurs is to prod the horse to begin moving forward. Well, that's kind of the idea here, that the author is saying that as Jesus followers, we need to spur one another on. We need to motivate each other. We need to support and help each other. Move towards love and move towards good deeds in an unconditional way. And he continues. And let us consider how we may spur one another uh, on towards love and good deeds. Not giving up, and this is important, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. This is my point earlier. How long did it take for them to stop gathering together? Probably about a week or two because they realized that Jesus was with them always. But the author of Hebrews says, wait, wait, wait. Don't give up the meeting together. The meeting together is really important. But, but it might be important for something you've never thought of. See, see, here's what we have to kind of understand as the church and, and what this gathering is all about. You see, the church, the church is not the epicenter of Christianity. Jesus told us that. The, the church is not the epicenter of Christianity. Christ, Christ is the epicenter of Christianity. But this is where the gathering begins to, to play for us. See, see, Christ is the epicenter of Christianity But unconditional love, that is the epicenter of Christ. And I promise you, you did not walk away from the church or from faith because of too much unconditional love. You probably walked away because that wasn't your experience. But if we kind of go back to the original question that we asked for a minute, like why do we need to gather as the church? Like why do we need this gathering? Well, the author of Hebrews kind of tells us The reason we need to gather is because unconditional love matters. We need to gather because unconditional love matters. We need to gather, maybe you could say it this way, we need to gather because unconditional love needs to be personally experienced and it also needs to be publicly practiced. That's why we need to gather. I think it's important to gather and worship and sing together. I think it's important to gather and listen to sermons and messages and talk about that together. I think all that's important. 
But at the end of all of that, you can do that elsewhere. But, but you can't really do this as well outside of the local church. Can, can I talk about both of these just for a second? Because they're both very important. This idea of experiencing unconditional love personally, it's so important. And the reason is that our world is not an unconditional love kind of place. When you were in second grade, like the teacher didn't say to you, hey, you really don't know anything that I've taught you, but I'm still gonna move you into third grade because of unconditional love. I mean, that's not how our world works, but that's how God's world works. And, and so for you to understand God's unconditional love, it has to become more than just theory. And the way it moves from theory to reality is through experience. And the local church should be the number one place for you to experience unconditional love. It doesn't mean that we're going to agree on everything. It doesn't mean that we're even going to think the same way. It doesn't mean that I would be right and you would even be wrong. That doesn't mean. It just means that it's the number one place for us to experience unconditional love. And when you experience unconditional love through the body of Christ, through the local gathering of a local church, it helps you understand the love of God for you, which is unconditional. But you'll never be able to understand God's love for you outside of experiencing it through others. That's why it's so important to be a part of a gathering of a local church. But at the same time, it's important to practice loving other people as well. And guess what? There is no better place in the world to practice unconditional love like the local church. Because surrounding you at a local church are people who are not like you. Now, I know that's probably true at work and at home, but you don't have the kind of grace in those places that you probably should have at a local church. If you want to learn to love somebody from a different political party, come to a local church and love them unconditionally. We're going to learn to love someone with a different theological understanding of Scripture. Come to a local church. It's the perfect place to practice living out that great command that God gave you. Because here's the secret. When you walk out into the world, we desperately need Jesus' followers to love people the way that he has first loved them. How are we going to be great at that? I'll tell you, by practicing it in the local church first. See, experiencing love changes you. And loving others changes them. If unconditional love, if unconditional love is the epicenter of Christ, the church is the ideal place to experience being loved and to practice loving others. So, kind of go back to that idea of meeting together and obviously for 2,000 years it's been a little bit of a struggle to remind Christians of how important it is to gather so I mean how can we not forget like how can we continue the habit of meeting together and that word habit is actually the secret and the author of Hebrews kind of gave it to us and not to give up meeting together some of are in the habit of doing the way to replace a bad habit is simply to intentionally form new habits. So here's what I want to do as we kind of wrap up. I just want to give you three habits that I think all of us as Jesus followers at local churches 
that we should begin following. Three habits that we need to make a part of our normal rhythm of life. Here's the first one. I just think we all need to establish, or maybe in, in your case, reestablish a Sunday morning gathering habit. We, we need to establish that again or reestablish it if it's fallen off for you. And I know we've had a pandemic and all that's been a big problem and, and I get it. I mean, but we can't let a pandemic be an excuse for us not gathering. And I don't mean physically gathering because for some of you, that isn't the safest thing to do right now. For some of you, it's fine and you're welcome to do that at RCC. And I'm glad you're doing that. But just because you can't physically be in the building doesn't mean you have an excuse to quit gathering. That is the beauty of technology. I'm so grateful that this pandemic happened in 2020 when we have the bandwidth on the internet to stream messages, to meet together through Zoom and other digital platforms. I mean, gathering together has never been easier than it is right now, even if you can't do it physically. And, and here's the cool thing, and I think we miss this all the time. Like, we, we get upset that maybe the church was closed for a while or that we're having to physically distance and it doesn't seem like we should be. Here's the thing. For 2,000 years, the church has been gathering in different forms for the same function. Listen, this is so important. The form of the gathering doesn't matter as much as the function of the gathering. If you're gathering physically, that's great. If you're gathering digitally, that's great. How you gather doesn't matter as much as why you gather. So figure out a way in your own life to find a habit of gathering, establish or reestablish that habit. Here's the second one. Find a small group to get involved in. And, and I know that here at RCC, you guys have already launched small groups for the season and, and there'll be a new season to do that after the first of the year, I'm, I'm sure. But there, there's no one stopping you from gathering three or four other couples or friends and just gathering together on your own. I mean, of course, at our churches, we try to make it as easy as we can and kind of make the system available for you, but you don't really need the church to help you figure that out. You can just go get some people together and do that. Meet every other week or go to dinner a couple times a month or maybe even be overachiever like I do in my group. We meet like every week, but, but, but figure out a way to do that and make a habit of living in Christian community. It's a huge part of not giving up gathering together. Here's the last one. This is the Apostle Paul and his uh, kind of mentor, mentee, Peter. He was a mentor for him. But this is something else. I mean, Timothy, this is what we should do as well. We should just become a spiritual mentor and we should find a spiritual mentor. This is what the Apostle Paul and Timothy did. T Timothy was a guy who Paul was bringing along and gave him leadership over a lot of the things that he had started. And here's what's so cool in churches like this. You can find someone who's a little bit ahead of you and ask them if they can help you grow in your faith. And you can find somebody who's not quite as far along as you are and ask them if, if you can come alongside of them. The, the, the beauty of this is even when two people are gathered, guess what you're doing? You're gathering, you're gathering. And that's what matters. Don't give up gathering as some are in the habit of doing. Instead, make a habit to do it. Make it a rhythm of your life. See, as a church, we may have to develop some new forms of doing it, but the function, the reason, the purpose is still the exact same. We need to experience God's unconditional love through the body of Christ. 
And we need to be the body of Christ, unconditionally loving others. That's why we need the gathering. I don't know if you've ever heard of a guy named Eugene Peterson. Um, he wrote a kind of uh, translation, or maybe you would call it a transliteration of the Bible. He, he basically took the Bible and tried to put it in the most modern terms he could. It's called the message. I, I like to read the message. I read three or four different versions of the Bible. And I like to compare them. And it's one of the ones I like to read because it's just written in a way that's different. It makes me think a little bit differently about the scripture. Here's something he said about community. I think it's the perfect way to wrap up this conversation. Here's what he said. He said, there can be no maturity in the spiritual life, which I'm assuming you want, no obedience in following Jesus, no wholeness in the Christian life, apart from an immersion in and embrace of community. And where do we get that? Through the local church, through the gathering. I am not myself by myself, he says. Community, not the highly vaunted individualism of our culture, is the setting for living the Christian life. And you know what? I agree with Eugene. There is nothing like the local church. There is nothing like the local gathering. If you've been a part of one for a long time, I hope you know that. And I hope you continue to make it a habit. If you've kind of fallen away from it, I hope you reestablish that habit. And if you have fallen away and you have no plans to come back, here's what I would just beg you to consider. Did you walk away because of God's vision for the local church? Or did you walk away because of the experience that you had that didn't line up with God's unconditional love for you? If that's why you walked away, you should consider trying it again. I mean, I hate to admit it, but the, the church is just created locally by broken people which means there are gonna be no perfect churches because there are no perfect people, but that's perfect because it means that you can be here because just like me, you're imperfect. The church is the perfect place for imperfect people to experience unconditional love and to practice loving others. Can we pray together? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the local church. Thank you in the kind of seasons of my life where I have felt like, does it really matter? Do we have to do this? Do we need to get up? Uh, thank you for just pushing me to not give up on the local church because it has changed my life. It's changed my family's life. God, I pray that generations beyond me's lives will be changed because of their experience in local churches. And I pray as local churches that we'll get this right too, that we won't be an unsafe place for people to come and experience unconditional love. That will be the safest place in the world for people to show up imperfect, knowing that we are all imperfect and you love us like crazy anyway. So God, give us just the wisdom to understand how to live that out in our local churches and then give us the courage to do it. Showing up is one thing. Loving other people is a whole nother thing. I pray that we get that part right too. Jesus, we love you. Pray all of this in your name. Amen.